ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Sanctuary of the Saved on another episode of Believe in Bravely. I'm your host, Fixie. I'm joined by my friends, Ryan. What's up, y'all? Oh, ooh, sorry. Forgot to <laughs> unmute the mics. Uh, sorry. Ryan. What's up, y'all? JJ. What's up, guys? And our friend, Wit, who was not here last time because of he had COVID. Uh, Wit, what's going on, man? What's happening? Uh, so, Wit... Um, tell us a little bit about yourselves and tell our audience a little bit about yourselves. Um, what did life look like growing up for you? Um, why are you here today? Yeah, so I grew up kind of in and out of the church a lot growing up. Uh, went to Christian school my whole life. Um, I would probably say that I was, um, I might have believed, um, but I would say I was pretty lukewarm uh, through most of my life, um, especially in high school. And um, it really didn't really change until my freshman year of college, so I got plugged in with a local church, and that's really when I um, dove into community, uh, took ownership of my faith, and then um, I went on a mission trip uh, the summer after my freshman year of college, and then I made the decision to get baptized uh, the first semester of my sophomore year, and just ever since then, I've uh, just been on fire for the Lord, and um, that's really how I, that's kind of my story. That's awesome. Um, so as, uh, you all in the studio know, but, uh, are what our audience doesn't know yet. Um, so the topic of today is, uh, we're exploring the wisdom of Jesus through his parables. Um, what are the significance of his parables? You may ask. Um, well, for one, they're rich in symbolism and they have lots of metaphors in them. Um, they kind of drew on everyday experiences of his audience um, and they communicate profound spiritual lessons. Um, they're accessible but carried profound meanings. Um, inv- in, he, it invited listeners to contemplate moral and ethical principles. Uh, they served as a unique and engaging way for Jesus to connect with the people uh, with various walks of life. Um, it also tried to provoke thoughts about faith, compassion, forgiveness, and the nature of God's kingdom. Uh, it's also crucial to note, uh, paraphrase, The parables were fictional stories. They were not true. Um, They were meant to delve beneath the surface of the stories and uncover deeper meanings within them. Um, So today we're going to start off with a prayer. I got a prayer for us. Um, So, uh, dear Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you today with gratitude and humility as we embark on this journey of exploring and discussing the timeless teachings found in the parables of your Son. We seek your guidance and understanding, asking for the wisdom to grasp the profound truths embedded in these narratives. Grant us open hearts and minds to receive the spiritual insights woven into the fabric of these stories. May the words we share today not only enlighten our intellect, but also touch the depths of our souls, inspiring transformation and a closer walk with you in the spirit of seeking truth and understanding. We invite your presence to be with us throughout this conversation. May our words be a reflection of your love, grace, and timeless wisdom. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. 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 All right. So a little bit of overview of the parables. Um, Like I said, they're timeless stories. Uh, They're more than just narratives. They're, uh, They're profound tools Jesus used to convey spiritual truth. It resonated with the hearts of his listeners. Show it shows Jesus' eternal knowledge. This, it, this, this just blows my mind because Jesus knew what his audience was thinking, and he would come up with these parables on the spot. And it just goes to show that the Lord and Jesus know what we're thinking. They know our hearts, and so these parables had two purposes: they served to unveil deeper insights into the kingdom of God. Jesus used relatable everyday scenarios to paint vivid pictures of profound spiritual realities. Um, and that made it access, accessible to diverse audiences. They were meant to challenge and provoke our self-reflection. It nudged Jesus's listeners to examine their beliefs, values, and actions in light of the divine principles embedded into these stories. Um, They're also a master blend of simplicity and depth. Uh, 
he Jesus wove these narratives with rich symbolism and metaphors. It, he was drawing from the familiar experiences of his audience. So picture a mirror. And that mirror shows your reflection that reveals the complexity of your sinful nature throughout your whole life. Therefore, causing that reflection that you see causes you to repent and desire for the Lord to free you from that sin. That was the purpose of these parables that Jesus told his audience. So let's unpack the layers of meaning within these parables and discover the relevance they hold for us today. So Whit, why don't you start off with your parable that you did? Yeah, so um, mine was from the book of Luke, um, talking about the, the rich fool. And uh, this one really talks about um, like greed and materialism and what true riches really are, which are not worldly things, which are godly things. Um, the first uh, point that I really had was um, it basically starts out, just to give a little bit of context, um, a, uh, a man and his brother uh, went up to Jesus from the crowd and said, um, I want to split my inheritance. Um, can you get him to split my inheritance with, um, can my brother split my, can you get my brother to split his inter- inheritance with me? And Jesus sent, essentially goes on this point of, well, who made me judge or arbiter? And then um, he basically talked about the dangers of uh, materialism um, it, it really highlighted um, the focus on accumulating earthly treasures um, and not um, like our treasures like in heaven that we will have like uh, once we pass. Um, and I think also like it really highlights a, a major point about um, even like our basic needs. Like this, this rich guy like had a lot of money um, and he talked about how he was going to be taken care of for like the rest of his life. Um, and I think uh, his, his priority was, well, I have all this money, um, and I'll be fine. I'm secure. Um, but we shouldn't, like, think of ourselves. We shouldn't have to worry about our own basic needs. Like, God will provide those needs for us. Um, and then um, I would also talk about um, the uncertainty that can happen in life, um, even though we may have, like, um, a lot of like material things right now that doesn't mean that couldn't change in the future. So I'm kind of just relying on that is faulty. Um, and then did you just want a brief overview or what'd you want? No, you're totally fine. No, just keep going with whatever you have. Um, yeah, just, uh, I guess, um, some personal reflections on those. Uh, we'd love to see that. And like, what, what was your personal reflection from, uh, this parable and kind of like what, can others learn from this? Like, what is Jesus trying to tell his audience from this parable? I think the the main point is do not, like, go out of your way to pursue money and to pursue worldly things. Um, I wouldn't even say it's just money. Like, status, I think, is something that could be applied to this. Um, awards, accolades, whatever it is. I think pursuing those temporary worldly things is the main, and it's fine to pursue those things, but not to put them above God, right? Like it's fine to make money. Um, That's not sinful to want to do that, right? But um, I think the main point um, that this really drives home is that um, your number one focus should be on pursuing godly things um, and just pursuing your relationship with the Lord and, um, yeah, just not not worldly things. Yeah, and money is actually the thing that is mentioned most in the Bible. Right. Um, and there's this huge warning that Jesus gives a lot of his listeners, and it's that money can corrupt. Money gives you power. And one of my favorite saying is, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And... It, this parable goes to show that money can be very dangerous because it becomes an idolized thing. And you can become way too materialistic due to the corruption of money because money becomes God. It was designed to be good. It was not designed to be God. So when 
you place your faith in money, when you when money's your biggest desire, that eventually just leads to a fall that you cannot. It puts yourself in a hole that you cannot dig yourself out of. Well, it's also because you're pursuing something that's temporary, right? Correct. And it's not supposed to fulfill you. Um, it's not. I mean, sure, it can give you some level of security, maybe for a it give you temporary satisfaction, but it's never going to fulfill you in any kind of eternal way. Right. And what happens when that money goes away? Because what if all of a sudden, obviously this, the chances of this very low are happening, but another great depression happens and your bank account is just snap of the fingers gone. What, what do you have to lean on now? Right. It's, it's one of those things that like, it can change at any moment. It's the, the uncertainty of um, just the uncertainty of life. Yeah. I think that's a really good parable. Uh, it definitely teaches a lesson of not being materialistic and placing your faith in Jesus rather than placing your faith in material things like money and success. Those things by themselves are not bad, but when you place them above your faith in the Lord, then it becomes bad and sinful. So, we are going to move on to Ryan's parable. Ryan, what was your parable? So, I did the parable of the lost sheep, um, which is in the book of Luke, chapter 15, verses 3 through 7. Um, And I'll just go ahead and read that, those verses from the Bible, just real quickly. Um, Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in an open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, "Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep." I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not repent. So yeah, I I mean, that's pretty powerful just in itself, um, but really tying it to how God places every individual, like, the value that he puts on us is, like, equal. So, like, every soul is precious in his eyes. Right. Um, And also conveys the idea that God doesn't give up on anyone and is willing to go go to the deepest and greatest of lengths um, to bring back those who, who are lost. Um, so like, for example, like a few months ago, I, I was, I was lost and the, the Lord and you guys reeled me in and I'm not lost anymore. Like, yeah. Um, go ahead. yeah. What are some, uh, what are some themes of God's relentless pursuit of the lost? What does that parable, sh- what does this parable show in that theme? Um, so like, you mean like how, like. It compares to the lost sheep. Yeah, you're yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just like, how would you compare to the lost sheep? What did God do in your life that, like, how would you describe yourself as a lost sheep? And how would you describe God in this parable? And okay. how would you describe yourself in this parable? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, if I, I mean, if I'm comparing myself to the lost sheep, um, I feel like a great example of that um, is when... I mean, I was on a downward spiral, like, at the end of last school year, going into this year. Um, I'd lost my whole friend group, and I wasn't really doing well during the summer. Came into this year with, like, one or two friends. But then I met y'all and was saved from there, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, So what are some practical applications from this parable that others could do in their life? Like, what is something that you have learned in this by reading this parable, and what is something you can tell others that may have not read this parable and like they're just hearing this for the first time from you. Mm-hmm. Right. So what is advice you can take from this parable and tell them? Yeah. So like, I mean, I'll throw out the same example, like me, like losing my friends last year, those people give up on you, but the Lord will never give up on you. And that's like the big thing that I lean back on is that I like, I'm not here to impress anyone, but the Lord. He's the Savior. He's the one. He's the He's the Holy Spirit. He's gonna get me to where I need to be. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. it 
That's so powerful because we often forget that like so many times, like yeah. so many times that in life that we're just worried about the next thing. Yeah. We're worried about what others are seeing us as. Yeah. We're worried about others' opinion on us, right? Um, a, that necessarily isn't a bad thing. No. But when you forget about who truly loves you. Yeah. Who truly you are here for. Yeah. Who you are truly trying to impress. The only opinion that matters is Jesus. Yes, absolutely. And the crazy thing about that, no matter what you do, Jesus will never change his opinion on you. Yes. No matter what you do, your way cannot be earned. Yeah. And what's great about that is if your way can't be earned, there's no way you could, you could possibly mm-hmm. get it taken away. Yes. So, that being said, JJ, you had the parable of the lost son. Um, actually, a common theme you'll see in all of our parables, all of these were from the book of Luke. Yeah. Um, so tell us about the parable of the lost son. All right. So um, this parable is found in Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. This parable, to me, has the most significance because I remember growing up and hearing this parable all the time. And even to this day, as an adult, it's my favorite one to hear in sermons or... And also, it's personal to me because there's an amazing song that I always love to listen to when I can that explains this parable perfectly. And it's by Script Tunes. It's a band from uh, back home that il- illustrates this perfectly. This is a small little lyric from that song. So the son left and went to his father. Father, when the son was long way off, he saw him coming and hugged and kissed him. This um, main chorus of the song basically shows and illustrates the father's love for his son. And just briefly, I'm going to read um, five verses of this parable. So Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, The younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And he had spent everything. There was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to to his fields to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the paws that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So as we saw in the first few verses, we saw that the father being merciful, but the younger son being greedy, basically in simple terms tells his son, dad, I want you to die. So you give me your share of the estate, my inheritance, right? So in basic terms, he goes to his father because in traditions in back in the day, the Jews would give majority of their inheritance to their older son. But in this case, the younger son wanted his inheritance, which was a little less, a third, right? A third. He would get a third of his inheritance. And then being greedy, he spent it all and had to work in the pig fields. Um, So my big idea for this is, this parable is a story of love and a lesson from God that no matter how far we run away, he longs for the love of his children. This parable effectively conveys the messages of repentance, forgiveness, and the boundless love of God through his narrative and symbolism. Repentance. The younger son's journey represents the life of rebellion and sin. The son's realization of his mistakes and decision to return symbolize genuine repentance. His humble confession and willingness to be treated as a servant Reflect a changed heart and a desire to turn back to God. It also shows a significance of forgiveness. The father's response to the returning son is characterized by immediate and unconditional forgiveness. The father runs to meet his son, embraces him, and orders a celebration, indicating a complete and joyous reconciliation. I, um, this is perfectly 
explained in um, a couple of verses earlier where in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This also um, perfectly explains the main message of this parable, which shows that even when the son betrays his father, just as we do, right? Um, whenever we sin, we are separated from our relationship with Jesus. And after uh, repentance, we embrace him and we join back together in complete and joyous reconciliation. Um, the forgiveness that is portrayed underscores God's willingness to forgets, forgive sins, no matter how grievous, or upon genuine repentance. It also shows the boundless love of God. The Father's actions represent a boundless and unconditional love. Despite the Son's waywardness, the Father eagerly awaits his return. The celebration and reinstatement of the Son as a beloved member of the family highlight the depth of God's love and the joy in heaven when a sinner repents. That's so good. Yeah. So what are, what are some personal reflections that you gained or thought about when reading that parable? I just think of um, the first thing I really touch, love, love to touch on is that sense of sibling-like resentment and sibling-like hatred because the older sibling has this deep resentment toward his younger brother and always that can always lead to danger, right? Um, I love to think of it as the danger of self-righteousness as it warrants against judgment and emphasizes the need for compassion and understanding. It also illustrates the, the amazing message of um, restoring a relationship that um, in this case, um, the son's relationship with um, his father is destroyed and broken. And it also shows with repentance and willing repentance shows the, the love of God to restore a lost soul. And I just love this parable just because it really touches on how amazing God's love is toward us, even when we don't deserve it. Oh, dude. Yeah. That parable's so good. I love that story. Just like, because when you read it, there's two ends of the spectrum, right? Um, where we're the lost son, right? Where we, and where the, the father represents the Lord. Um, there, there's two ends of the spectrum. There's two characters that we represent as believers. There's the lost son who's like, God, just give me my inheritance. Give me like whatever you offer and I'm going to turn away from you and go do whatever I want. I'm going to go party. I'm going to go do whatever sinful things I want because I know that because I want no part of a relationship with you. That's what we did in the sinful world. And then we come back to God when we want something, when we've lost everything. And what's amazing is God welcome, welcome, welcomes us back no matter what. He welcomes us back with open arms, welcomes us, cuts the, kills the finest, fattest calf, and says, welcome home. That's one, and that's one character that we represent. Then we also represent the other sibling, where we're, we do everything that we think God wants us to do. And then we see this other person, the other sibling, go and turn away from God, go do sinful things, all what, and then God welcomes us back, and then we feel jealous. We feel envy. Yeah. We feel... God, I've done everything that you've asked of me. I've prayed daily. I read my Bible all the time. I, we fail to see our own sinful nature because we're so focused on the other brother. We're so focused on other sinners. Because we, t we think God they did all this sinful stuff and I have done everything you've asked of me. Where's my feast? Where's everything I deserve? Or in reality, we don't deserve anything. We are dependent purely on the grace of that father. 
And this is, I love that story. So powerful. Oh my gosh. And um, that's a good transition into my uh, parable because it resonates a lot with that one as well. Um, so my parable was the Pharisee and the tax collector. Oh, that's a really good one. I uh, did. So good. And it's, it's a very humbling one too. Um, so it is in the book of Luke chapter 18 verses nine through 14. So I'm going to read, I'm going to read this off. Um, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. In this narrative, we encounter two individuals, the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee, known for his religious piety, stands confidently and arrogantly, lists off his righteous deeds before God. But the tax collector, in contrast of the Pharisee, he is aware of his sins, humbly bows, begs and pleads for the Lord's mercy. There's a key lesson of humility in this parable. The Pharisee's pride blinds him to his own shortcomings. Self-righteousness becomes a barrier to the Pharisee, and it's preventing his true connection with God. But the tax collector, in his humility, acknowledges his need for God's mercy. And it's a piercing reminder to us as believers. True spiritual growth begins with a humble recognition of our own imperfections. And so repentance takes center stage here. Tax, the tax collector's sincere plea for mercy demonstrates a genuine desire for change and the betterment of his life. His acknowledgement of his sin becomes a powerful catalyst to transformation. Or in contrast, the Pharisee's lack of repentance is coupled with a judgmental attitude, and it serves as a cautionary tale about the pitfalls of spiritual pride, just like the brother in the lost son. So this parable becomes a timeless call for us to embrace humility. We, by embracing humility, we recognize our need for God's grace. And by embracing humility, we engage in sincere repentance and it paves the way for a deeper connection with the Lord. Which reminds us, the gospel is not about our way, earning our way to climb up the stairway to heaven. The gospel is about God hearing our pleas at the bottom of those stairs, and sending his son Jesus down to take our hand and help us walk up the stairs just like a father helping his struggling child. So I love all those parables. Yeah. They all have super powerful messages, which is what Jesus intended, intended for, he intended for us to critically think about them and have self-reflection about those parables, about our own faith and what essentially what we're doing with our lives. And so there's some key le lessons and some common themes within all these stories that Jesus tells. The rich fool. The lesson, 
True wealth is found in the relationship with God, not material possessions. And the takeaway is you should prioritize spiritual riches, cultivate gratitude, and be mindful of the temporary nature of material wealth. The lost sheep. The lesson, God's love is relentless and pursues all of those Mm -hmm. who are lost. He does not pick and choose. Takeaway, understand the depth of God's love for each individual and celebrate the joy of repentance and return. The lost son, the lesson, God's forgiveness knows no bounds and reconciliation is possible through repentance. And the takeaway, embrace the grace and forgiveness offered by God and extend that grace to others in our our relationships because we cannot earn our way, but we cannot get it taken away because we are dependent solely on the grace of God. So if the most powerful being that will ever live extends a grace so unfathomable, why should we not extend that to others? The Pharisee and the tax collector, lesson of humility and repentance, and that they're the heart of a genuine relationship with the Lord. Huge takeaway, recognize the need for humility in our prayers and a repentant attitude in acknowledging our dependence on God's mercy alone. Some common themes between all these stories. God's boundless love and mercy. The transformative power of repentance and humility. The joy of reconciliation and forgiveness. The contrast between material and spiritual wealth. And the call to reflect these lessons in our daily lives. So what's the overall message of all these stories? These parables collectively paint a picture of God's unwavering love, mercy, and the transformative power of a humble and repentant heart. They challenge us to prioritize spiritual wealth, extend grace to others, and live out the timeless teachings of Jesus in our daily lives. So essentially, the parables are telling us, look more like Jesus because he's done all this. Mm -hmm. So how can we apply this to our daily lives? Ryan, how do you think we can apply these to our daily lives? I mean, we just need to realize that the Lord is, is with us no matter what. He loves us no matter what we do and no matter what sins we make. Um, all sins will be forgiven by him, and we need to live by not live by it, but we need to realize that, but also repent on the sins that we've made and realize that we've done wrong and pray on them as well. JJ, what do you think? It comes to um, no matter how grave of a mistake we make, no matter how much we think we have betrayed God, he, like the... Like the father in this parable will op- will open his arms with a love that uh, surpasses all understanding and just would bring us back into his arms and with grace and love that we don't deserve. Whit, what about you? Um, I think personally, <clears throat> excuse me, I think personally um, we just need to constantly remind ourselves that um, no matter what, no matter what it is in this world, we try to, um, fulfill ourselves with, um, uh, that there's nothing greater than a relationship with the Lord. Um, that's the only thing that will actually satisfy us. And, um, and just walking in that truth and walking in that light is, um, the, uh, the only path that is truly going to, um, make a difference in our, in our lives. Yeah. 
So I have a thought on each of these parables and how we can apply them to their daily lives. Um, so with the Pharisee and the tax collector, I encourage all of you to examine your prayer lives and your attitudes when praying. Are you asking God and depending purely on his grace? Are you saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner? Are you saying, God, I need you? Or are you going in it with a cocky attitude and with arrogance, like the Pharisee saying, I thank you for that I'm not like others? Because God could very easily put you in the situation that others are in. So who are you to step on them and look down on them just because you do your prayer time? Because in reality, you are no better than others. You are just as sinful as someone else. And I encourage all of you as well to develop a habit of prayer with a focus on humility and acknowledge our dependence on God's mercy. Because, like I said earlier, there is no way we can possibly earn our way into heaven. There is no possible way that others can earn their way into heaven. So why not love those people and show them the joy that comes from being dependent on that mercy alone. Because when you are dependent on that mercy, knowing that there is nothing you can possibly do to earn your way, but also there is nothing you could possibly do to get it taken away, how much more joyful are you? How much less anxious are you? Knowing that no matter what you do, you have a God that loves you. So what's some action that we can take learning from the Pharisee and the tax collector? Consider specific actions that you do throughout your day. What do these actions reflect? Do they reflect a humble and repentant heart, such as acts of kindness and reconciliation, showing others that love? Or those actions say, I'm better than you. Something from the lost sheep. I encourage you guys to listen and identify areas where you might feel lost or distant from God. Reach out to those who may be struggling. Offer support and compassion because we were lost sheep once too. And we know how that feels. And we know it sucks. So if we feel that way and we know how that feels, why should we not extend a hand out to a a brother Mm -hmm. or a sister so that they can no longer be lost sheep? so that they can be one of the found sheep Mm -hmm. along with the shepherd, helping the shepherd find other lost sheep. So what is the action that you can take learning from that lost sheep? Participate in our community and participate in a community that seeks out the lost. Mm -hmm. Engage in outreach and support initiatives like mission trips outreach team anything a simple invitation to church mm-hmm. or small group bible study how would you feel if you were in college and just had a were having a lonely time and someone random you don't even know says hey come hang out come hang with us we'd love to have you mm-hmm. you're wondering what is driving that kid? Yeah. How is he living his life to where he just sees some random kid on the sidewalk and 
wants to invite him. He's wondering, how do I live a life that that kid is living? Another lesson to learn from the other parable of the lost son. I encourage you guys learning from the parable of the lost son. Reflect on situations where forgiveness and reconciliation are needed and extend forgiveness to others and seek reconciliation where it is possible because it is always possible, especially with Christ. So by doing that, take intentional steps towards rebuilding broken relationships, expressing God's love through forgiveness because Jesus never burnt bridges. Never burn them. He never burned a bridge because he knows how valuable relationships are. And by burning those bridges, you are closing a door to an eternal life that people may not have even known they could have possibly had. Actions we can take with the rich fool. Assess your priorities in terms of spiritual and material wealth. Develop a mindset of gratitude and contentment, recognizing the value of spiritual richness. Material items are good. It's nice to have them. But we often want the next thing. Yeah. And when we want the next thing, what let me ask you a question. When was a time that you were praying for something that you with for, from God that you wanted so badly? JJ when was the last time you prayed for something that you like desired? Oh man, um just recently um I um being called by God to be uh, the leader for um, the outreach team, just um, that desire to serve is something that I w- was praying to God about because um, I want to be not me, but Jesus leading me. Um, I want to be I want to be able to find those people and be a light to them and be able to show them the love that has just been there with me throughout my whole life. And be able to just be with them and walk with them and um, hopefully show them a life that Jesus wants them to live. Mm-hmm. That's something that's always that's been on my heart yeah. this week. Yeah, that's awesome. My point in asking that, do you remember a time when you got what you prayed for and you got so bored of it so quickly that you were on to the next thing almost immediately? Do you remember a time like that? Yeah. Okay. How can you enjoy where God's brought you when you're too focused on where he's bringing you? You're so focused on where you want God to bring you that you can't enjoy where he has already brought you. And so we forget to have this mindset of gratitude and contentment of where we are. And we say, God, I need this. Where he's already, where he's trying to tell us, I brought you here after prayer already. Mm-hmm. So consider ways to share our resources and generously invest time and energy in your spiritual growth because those material things will not fulfill you. Because think about it, when we want those material things and we're constantly striving to get them, once we get them, we want the next thing. We want the next toy. We want the next video game. We want the next console. We want the next TV show. Mm -hmm. So 
I encourage everyone listening and everyone in the studio to regularly reflect on your actions, attitudes, and priorities. Advocate for active participation in supporting your communities where these principles can be lived out. And then accountability. That is huge when it comes to having relationships with others, right? Mm -hmm. So why not? And growth is very hard when you're trying to grow alone. Mm -hmm. Community is one of the most important things that you could possibly have when it comes to having faith in Jesus. Because you need accountability. Wit, how has accountability helped you in pursuing your faith? Oh, it's been huge. Um, I think just <clears throat> always having someone who, just having someone who really encourages me in my faith really helps me a lot. I think um, too often, uh, especially in college, people try to uh, walk um, with Jesus alone. And that's really, really difficult. Um, you don't have somebody there holding you accountable to reading scripture, or memorizing scripture, or encouraging you, um, in your prayer life. And I think, um, I think those things are super important. Um, especially, um, as you start to mature in your faith. Ryan, what was the time that you were struggling with something and, a friend that hold you accountable, what did that do for you? How much more empowered did you feel to get what you were struggling with done? Yeah. Um, so we have our Sunday Bible study groups um, at Stephen's house, um, and we have an accountability session with, among amongst guys. Um, and when I started attending the Sunday Bible study, I was still gay. And I feel like that accountability session really helped me be more comfortable with um, my really close friends, but also learn, like, get to know myself more, if that makes sense. Like, I know who I am, and I'm not scared to share right. it. Your identity is not in that, but in yeah. Christ alone. Yeah. And I remember also in a time in your <clears throat> development with your faith, yeah. there was a time that you were kind of blind, I you were like blind to something or whatever. And then I was like, all right, let's get serious for a second. And JJ and I sat with you and had that tough conversation that was hard to hear. Yeah. But you needed that account yeah. be accountability to give you that push. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, does anyone have any closing thoughts on anything that was said on any of the parables, on any of the stories that Jesus was telling us or any messages that he was trying to get across. To conclude, um, don't be afraid to be vulnerable with um, your friends. The most important lesson that I've learned um, with this group of guys, but also just in general is if you're accountable and your friends hold you accountable, it's just a different relationship. I know that in past it was really difficult and now it's different. And don't be afraid to, to um, if you're struggling with different um, things that you don't feel too confident in sharing because people will judge you, don't allow that to take away from that just taking off that weight from your shoulders and allowing men and women of God to just surround you, love on you and support you and walk with you in those difficult moments. Yeah. And remember these parables are not just stories from the past. They are living truths that can shape our present and future. As we actively apply the lessons Jesus or is trying to teach us in these parables, we become vessels of God's love and grace in the world. We are, when we think of these parables, we are constantly self-reflecting yeah. on how we're living. We're reflecting on how compassionate we are towards others. Mm -hmm. We think of our humility. 
we think we double check on if Jesus is really our deepest desire. Are we desiring Jesus or are we desiring money, material things? Are we desiring relationships through Jesus? And by thinking of these parables, we, like I said, we become vessels of, and we become reconciled and we look more and more like Jesus every day. Not just thinking about these parables, but also spending time in that word, Mm -hmm. God's word. So let's embark on these, this journey together, brothers and sisters. Let's seek transformation in our lives and embody the teachings Jesus is trying to tell us in these parables in every aspect of our daily lives. Anyway, before, does anyone have anything else? No. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Uh, Until next time on Believing Bravely, Believing Bravely, where faith meets courage and every step is a bold journey into the heart of God's promises. Keep believing bravely, friends.